Phoenix Suns with the clean sweep. What was your takeaway of, of this, not just this game, but of this series with Phoenix? Well, it's not this series, this season. You guys been on my ass all year. But I've been saying, I mean, it's easy. We can all fit. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. All right. Welcome back to the show. Uh, California finally lifted its mask mandate for vaccinated people. So things are kind of back to normal. It's good to be able to go to places, not have to wear a mask. Dodger Stadium was packed last night. I don't think I mentioned this. While I was in Washington, we went to Costco. And there were people in there that weren't wearing masks. And we're like, what the hell's wrong with these people? Well, it turns out Washington opened things up while we were there. And masks became optional. So my brother and I were walking around the store with our masks off. I swear to God, it felt foreign and amazing. And how stupid is that? That I have to say that. Walking around in public with nothing over my face, felt amazing. It's like our faces have been handcuffed for a year. And I know there are people out there freaking out. They're going to just keep their masks on because we've got this new Delta variant out there. That sounds like a right son of a bitch. But I'll tell you, it's worth a chance for me. This has been truly one of the hardest, loneliest, disconnected years of my life. And I need to feel a little freedom out there, a little normal. And look, if the CDC retracts its recommendation, I'll mask back up. But I have followed every rule to the T. I don't go to events, ball games where it's crowded, dance clubs, bars, any of that stuff. It's not my cup of tea anymore anyway. Prefer coffee now. (laughs) But I'm definitely going to be as public as I can while I uh, maintain my health. So here's what happened. And this was yesterday. This is day one of the mask mandate lift. I had told everybody that on that day, I was going to go to a local brew house. I was going to order a beer and a burger. I was going to sit and watch sports and nurse the beer until it got warm. Because I want to be around people, maskless, cheer with people, make friends maybe. Good sports lineup that night. We had the NHL playoffs, basketball, Dodger game. So what did I do instead? I stayed home, made pizza, drank the last IPA that I brought back from Washington by myself. I am so fucked. <laughs> oh, I disgust myself. I don't know. Maybe this is my new normal now, hermit. Or maybe the idea of going to a brew house by myself just kind of seems sad and pathetic. I don't know. The idea sounded good on paper, but being out alone... I don't know. It's kind of pathetic. I'll go out with one of my buddies if they ever get vaccinated. I did go into a supermarket maskless, and that felt good. But get this. Besides myself, I saw two other people without masks. Everyone else in that store was wearing a mask. So either people don't trust the new rule, or there's a heavy population of non-vaccinated people in my area. 
I made sure to social distance in that store. I don't think that's something I'm going to screw around with, vaccinated or not. Yeah, so I was going through a pile of old books that never made it to my bookshelf. And I found one of the first books that I purchased on the Vietnam War. It's a few decades ago, I think. It's called Nam, and it's by uh, Mark Baker. It's unique in that this guy sat down with a bunch of vets, and he asked them all the same questions. And each of their answers were unique. But it gives you a true bird's-eye view of what it was like for those guys. From the time they were drafted or signed up to fight, what boot camp was like, what entering Vietnam was like, details of the first firefight, what it felt like to get shot at, what if they shot somebody, what it felt like to lose one of their own, and just how horribly difficult it was for them when they returned. That was the worst part of this whole thing. And you can tell when some of these guys are saying, you know, speaking bullshit. So much of it sounds way out there. But their frankness and the matter-of-fact way of telling their stories was really funny. And these guys had no filter. And they just, they told it like it was. And no matter how many stories about world wars that I've read, I get the same message every time. It's senseless. It's a waste of time as well as human life. But when governments have exhausted all of their diplomatic options, this is often their last resort. But in regards to this war, it was 100% preventable. We were so afraid of communism, China, Soviet Union. We felt that we had to get involved. And as it turned out, we had nothing to be afraid of. Vietnam's better off now than it was before we got involved. All this fear-mongering that goes on about nuclear weapons Who's got time for that, you know? And what happens? We end up being friendly with China anyway. Yeah, yeah. you know one actor I have a problem with? Armand Asante. If you don't know who he is, look him up. He played John Gotti in the HBO movie. He's been in a host of other films. I can't stand him in any of them. He's probably a good guy, but he talks like he's got marbles in his mouth. Other than his looks... I don't know how this man has ever built an acting career. He was in a movie that I watched over the weekend, Two for the Money, with Al Pacino and Matthew McConaughey. It was a good movie. But again, he plays the same role. A rich, tough guy who mumbles and talks so incoherently, I had no idea what this guy was saying. Hey, listen, here it is. Listen to this mumbling idiot. Negotiating what? Your fucking life. Let's take it out of fucking cokehead. Be quiet! Sit down. Angela. You got anything you want to tell me? Like what? Like secret shit. Like what kind of secret shit? Like secret shit. Like what? Like how many times a night I whack off? I said like secret shit. Well, better I stand up for Sammy in here. Find out I should have when I get out. I thought you and me would go for a walk and talk, huh? Take a stroll? What do you want me to do? I'm alone here, see? I'm clean. Come on. Step in my office here. This is business. So he's missing six ounces of coke. Yeah, you heard right. And that Ginny Perillo? He's going to get a shift stuck in his ass. You know, I say hard time is for hard arms. What are we trying to do here? Try to do some easy time. You know, you start that shit, it's a lockdown. Then what you got? You got no booze, no bras, no phones, no visitors. You weren't even going to get TV rights. Now, come on. You and me, we cool that, huh? 
No fucking way, Kyle passed you up. For what? That piece of shit? He don't understand the street. He wants to be some butter-ass businessman. Come on, that's not cause of Ostra. What's that? This guy over here, keeping secrets from me? Well, I don't know. My penis is tiny. I got nothing. Fucking Stunard. <laughs> the hell is that? He sounds like a drunk Sly Stallone. If he ever writes an autobiography of his life and does the audiobook version, look out. I swear to Christ, he might be the reason why some movies on Netflix, they turn the closed captioning on automatically. And always with the tough guy roles. You know, could you see this jabroni uh, taking on a role as a gay starving artist or a mentally handicapped person? Wait, did I say that right? What are we supposed to call him now? <laughs> Can't remember. Doesn't matter. Anyway, he's overrated. Never liked him. Look this guy up on Google Images. It's a killer. Every picture. This dude's making duck lips. Conceited bitch. That was the tough guy shit. Handsome motherfucker, though. I'll give him that. But his acting sucks a bag of dicks. Ah, oh, I read a really punchy internal email that was sent to members of a Linux team or some kind of a mail list. This guy's name is Linus Torvalds. I guess apparently someone who consults for Linux. Is it Linux or Linux? I don't know. I uh, sent an email to this team about how the COVID vaccination was nothing more than a human experiment. And this guy, Linus, was having none of it. This guy wrote, I know a lot of people who will never take part in this generic experiment. Is it generic? What do you mean to write here? Genetic experiment? No. I'll never, never take part in this generic experiment that basically creates a new humanoid race. <laughs> People who generate and exhaust the toxic spike protein whose gene sequence doesn't look quite natural. I'm one of them, as is my whole family. Oh, boy. So Linus shits down this guy's neck, all right? Here's what Linus writes, and I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's really long-winded. He says, uh, please keep your insane and technically incorrect anti-vax comments to yourself. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what mRNA is. And you're spreading idiotic lies. Maybe you do so unwittingly because of bad education. Maybe you do so because you've talked to experts or watched YouTube videos by charlatans that don't know what they're talking about. But damn it, regardless of where you've gotten your misinformation from, any Linux kernel discussion list isn't going to have your idiotic drivel pass uncontested from me. Vaccines have saved the lives of literally tens of millions of people. Just for your edification in case you're actually willing to be educated. mRNA doesn't change your genetic sequence in any way. It is the exact same intermediate and temporary kind of material that your cells generate internally all the time as part of your normal cell processes. And all that the mRNA vaccines do is to add a dose of their own specialized sequence that then makes your normal, your normal cell machinery generate that spike protein so that your body learns how to recognize it. The half-life of mRNA is a few hours. Any injected mRNA will be all gone from your body in a day or two. It doesn't change anything long-term, except for that natural, your body knows how to recognize and fight off a new foreign protein, 
which then tends to fade over time too, but lasts a lot longer than just a few days. And yes, while your body learns to fight off that foreign material, you may feel like shit for a while. That's normal, and it's your natural response to your cells spending resources on learning how to deal with a new threat. And of the vaccines, the mRNA ones are the most modern and the most targeted, exactly because they do not need to have any of the other genetic material that you traditionally have in a vaccine. Honestly, anybody who has told you differently, who has told you that it changes your genetic material, is simply uneducated. You need to stop believing the anti-vax lies, and you need to start protecting your family and the people around you. Get vaccinated. Don't feel all warm and fuzzy about the fact that COVID cases have dropped a lot around you. Yes, all those vaccinated people around you will protect you too. But if there is another wave, possibly due to a more transmissible version, transmissionable, transmissible, woof, I can't even say that word, you and your family will be at much higher risk than those vaccinated people because of your ignorance and misinformation. Now, you know, for as well written as this guy's response was, it's not going to make a shit bit of difference. Now, people got their minds made up. Nothing you say or do is going to change that. This is what I've learned. People want to believe what they want to believe. I don't believe in UFOs or that aliens come to visit us. But I understand why people do. I don't understand why people don't believe in the vaccine or how they're convinced that the Earth is flat or that the Apollo moon landing was a Hollywood production like shot against a green screen. That drives me nuts. There's another tech thing from last week. So Apple had its developers conference, right? Announced a bunch of new features. It's coming to iOS and macOS. It happens every year, right? They do it in the spring they announce, or summer they announce it, and then in the fall they'll release it. So these developers are given beta releases of you know, the platform to, sh- to kind of test their software or develop new software that takes advantage of all the new technology. But there was something that caught people's eye. On the Mac OS Monterey features page, this is the new OS coming from Macs, there were some new features that were being offered that got people excited. But they're, they're not going to work on Apple laptops or computers that don't have Apple's new M1 chip in them. So this means any computer... Apple computer that you've purchased before November of last year will not you know, not be able to take advantage of these features. Portrait mode for blurred backgrounds and FaceTime videos, a bunch of stuff, interactive 3D globe of the earth, detailed maps of big cities, text-to-speech stuff. It's not a killer for most people. I mean, none of these features sound like anything I'd personally use. But the fact that this was written in fine print, it looks suspicious, you know? Well, it turns out, somebody wrote that all the features that they listed here require a special neural engine, which requires processing power that, you know, Intel-based Macs can't handle. So anything older than what Apple released last November, you can't use it. Well, you know that Apple touts these big features in iOS and macOS all the time that forces people to purchase, you know, new technology, new Apple computers and phones because they know they simply have to have this latest technology. Apple knows its fan base. And this is why they produce a new phone every fall with all these new features. They call it our fastest phone yet. (laughs) Not that they'd ever get up there and say, this one's as good as last year's. 
But Apple's a sneaky motherfucker, man. They latch you into their ecosystem, make it hard to get out. You purchase movies or music through Apple, you're basically forced to stay in Apple land to play it. I wouldn't take issue with this if the laptops that they made weren't so goddamn expensive for what you're getting. I mean, it's crazy. And hey, this isn't me taking a dump on Apple, okay? Don't get mad at me for this. I love the company. I own stock in it. I just start to wonder how much greed these companies can get away with, man. Oof. All right, so look, I hit on pizza ovens last episode. My uni knockoff, a wood-fired pizza oven. It's shipped, and it's going to be here close to the end of the month. I have everything ready to go here. I'm going to be cranking out pizzas on that thing the minute it gets here. So Chuck and I share a lot in common, and one of them is pizza. We've both been using the Baker Stone, which is a stone oven that sits on top of your gas grill. It's fantastic. Highly recommended for anyone who wants to cook really high-end pizzas outside. Because summer's here, and cooking a pizza inside your house with a pizza stone in a 500-degree oven, that's not going to be an option for a lot of people. And I'd have stuck with the Baker Stone if my gas grill hadn't taken such a beating in the 13 years that I've had it sitting outside. I mean, I got my use out of the damn thing. I'm not bummed about losing it. But where my brother has helped me take this whole hobby next level is with dough. Now, I've always made decent dough, but it's pedestrian dough. You know, I make it in the morning, roll pizzas at night. It makes pizza. But everyone who truly knows pizza knows that it's all about the dough. So that's where your game has to be. So Chuck was talking about he was doing this 24-hour fermented dough. He ended up taking this thing to 48 hours, and the results were incredible. I'm talking to Dave last night. He takes his 54, 72 hours, I think. Nuts. So you get this really chewy, flexible dough with massive air pockets in the crust, but with a really fine crunch on top. But more than anything, with these long fermentations, the pulling and the kneading of your dough, you're working gluten into the dough, which will keep it from tearing when you work with it. And this is one of those things that was keeping me from being able to handle my dough properly. So consider this the first of I don't know how many parts in a series uh, over this summer in regards to pizza. I'd like to share with you the first step in making seriously great pizza dough. And even if you don't use it to make pizza, you could bake it for anything. Flatbread, focaccia, rolls, a standard loaf of bread. You name it. So this is what's called double fermented dough. And when we're talking about dough and fermentation, it's the process of using yeast to age your dough. You're not making alcohol here, okay? When you do this, and it's time-consuming, I'm going to warn you, it's going to give your dough all that it needs to rise like it should when you're baking it. And it also brings the best flavor and texture. So, And you can knead your dough by hand if you like, but I find kneading dough to be a giant pain in the ass, and I'd rather save my energy on something else. So I use my stand mixer with the dough attachment. And you have to plan ahead with this, okay? There are a lot of steps here. It takes a lot of time. You, you need to make your dough a few days in advance before pizza night or your pizza party. So don't think you can do this and have pizza tonight. It starts with what is called a poolish. And in baking terms, this is basically liquid biga, yeast. 
It's a pre-fermentation step in baking. In brewing terms, for all you home brewers out there, think of this as a yeast starter before you make your beer. So it's a leavening method, all right? And it helps keep your baked goods soft and smelling nice and tasting really good. To make a poolish, and please save all your stupid-ass poolish jokes, I've heard them all, you're going to want the following. And note that all these measurements are metric, all right? Things need to be precise. So get with the program, get a decent scale if you're going to do this. All right, 150 milliliters of good, clean, filtered water, 150 grams of flour, 5 grams of yeast, and 5 grams of honey. That's it. Super simple. Here's how you'll start. You're going to mix the honey in some lukewarm water, anywhere between 85 to 95 degrees. Mix that together, add the yeast, and mix that thoroughly until you've got a nice slurry. Add the flour, and then mix until you've got a uniform paste. It's going to be wet and sticky, as all good things tend to be, if you get what I mean. Get all that together in the bottom of your mixing bowl. Scrape the sides if necessary. Get as much off your dough attachment as you can. Get everything in there, right? Then put a piece of saran wrap over the top of the bowl. You always want this stuff covered and tight, okay? Never leave it open. Let it rest at room temperature for one hour. You'll see some bubbles start to form. And then put the poolish in the refrigerator for a minimum of 16 hours. The next day, you can take the poolish out of the fridge. Let it get to room temp for about 30 minutes to an hour. And then get together the following ingredients. Smell the poolish too. By the way, this stuff smells great. What you're going to do now, this is going to be your dough mixture. All right, 200 milliliters of water. 350 grams of superfine flour, double ot if you have it. And by the way, I live and die by Bob's Red Mill Artisan Flour. All right, if you can get that, buy it. 15 grams of salt, 5 grams olive oil. Add the 200 milliliters of water to your poolish. Mix that really well. And again, if you don't have a mixing machine, you can do this with your hands or a wooden spoon. It's going to get a little messy. Add the flour, the salts, and then the olive oil. Now, at this point, I'm going to mix at low speed on my stand mixer for about eight minutes. Uh, and if you do do this by hand, you're going to want to continue to knead it and pull it and knead it and pull it. And Jesus, just the sound of that makes me exhausted. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, you can transfer this to an airtight container now, okay? Uh, leave it in the mixing bowl if you want. Just cover it with saran wrap. Leave it at room temperature for one hour and then put it back in the fridge for at least 16 hours. 24 hours is preferred. Or you can go the full Monty, let it sit there 36, 48, I don't know. I think Dave said 72. That's nuts. You do you. Last step, and I told you guys, it's a lot of steps and a lot of work. But believe me, it's worth it. And by the way, this is why artisan pizza is 30 bucks a pie. All right, so this is known as your final proof. I'm serious, expensive stuff. Remove the ball from the fridge, right? It's a big ball. You're going to trim this into three or four equally measured balls. I usually go for around between 225 to 250 grams for each pizza. Just, you know, kind of small pizzas, like 12-inch pizza. Uh, you want to roll the ball super smooth, okay? So flour your rolling surface. You've got semolina flour or rice flour, some really fine flour. Uh, work that into a perfectly round balls. A lot of tension in them. Always make sure that when you're rolling this, you get a nice smooth ball that you pinch the bottom. So this keeps all the air inside of the dough ball. Place them into a well-oiled covered container and then make sure it's covered. Kick back for a few hours uh, before you need to bake or press into shape because these are all still cold 
and you need time to finish proofing, so they're going to rise a little bit. And they'll rise pretty well on you in this time. And from here, uh, you can bake it like bread, press it into pizza pie shapes, uh, form it for flatbread, focaccia, whatever you want to do. Just good stuff. And I'm telling you guys, best dough ever. It's worth the work. It's definitely worth the wait. And if you like to play with your food like I do, you know, dick around in the kitchen, you'll have a real ball with this. Just make sure you clean as you go, all right? Your kitchen is going to look like the, the scene from Scarface, you know? Tony, Tony Montana's his giant pile of Coke on his desk. Shit was everywhere. That's kind of what my kitchen looked like. Good stuff. You know, it's a funny thing. I was talking to, you know, I talked to Dave. Uh, I talked to a bunch of people online, people I've all met through my podcasts. Dude and I, my life is a foodie, and, and now this one. And it's it's amazing to me how much I have in common with the people who listen to my show because we have the same passions. It they're different things I have in common with the friends I actually have, you know, physically here. And I remember um, my wife asking me, you know, she saw my Facebook. I had like I don't know six, seven hundred friends, and she goes, "How could you possibly have six or seven hundred friends?" And I said, well, they're not friend friends, they're friends. She goes, yeah, but those aren't friends. I said, well, actually, in a way, they are friends. You know, I have a lot in common. We talk a lot. You know, I talk to them all the time. She goes, yeah, but online. I go, what's the fucking difference? The only difference between my online friends and my physical friends here is that, you know, I'm too far away from these online friends. I actually hang out with them. But I definitely would hang out with them probably more than these guys. So, yeah, don't say they're not friends, but it's nuts. You know, and that's the greatest gift of these podcasts. Yeah. I finally got around to seeing the father while I was with my family. Not my father. Fuck that. The movie. That's the, it's the movie with Anthony Hopkins. He won best actor for it. Definitely one of his greater performances. But this movie, holy shit. Now, if you haven't seen it, I'm not going to spoil it. But by the 30 minute mark. You'll either be completely confused or you'll start to understand what the screenwriter is doing. You get to experience what it's like to have dementia. Like you're as confused as someone with dementia is. And the things that you see happening in the movie are probably some of the same things that people with dementia experience. It's heartbreaking. One of the first things that Katrina and I used to fundraise for was the Alzheimer's Association. I think we were in our third year before I finally met some people who uh, had had parents with Alzheimer's. And I got to talk at length with them uh, at one of the events that we were at. And it wasn't until a few years after that that I got a chance to witness this firsthand. We were at a family barbecue and some friends of one of Katrina's cousins brought their mom with them. And at this point, this woman, she was in her last stages of this. All right. She didn't talk much. She walked and moved, you know, really slow. Seemed generally out of it. But the worst part was watching this poor woman try to eat. Like your brain just turns to oatmeal. And your muscle motion it doesn't work anymore. You know, it doesn't work correctly. It was heartbreaking watching them try to feed her. And their determination and strength while they took care of this woman. You know, it was inspiring to me. Now, if you've been a caregiver for an older parent or even your spouse, you know what I mean when I say this, man. It requires you to take emotion out of the equation 
when this stuff is going down. You can't afford to feel sad or feel frustrated or get emotional at all. You put your head down and do the work. You know, take care of this person because they can't take care of themselves anymore. And you want to cry, right? But you save that shit for later when the job is done and they're not around to see it. But if you really want to truly get in touch with human spirit, have an experience like that. But until then, watch The Father. I I can't recommend that movie enough. Oof, boy, I can't end the show on a bummer subject like that. Well, <laughs> I always manage to bring this fucking show to a screaming halt, don't I? <laughs> Let's talk about cheating. I mean baseball. Tyler Glasnow, all right? He's a pitcher for the Tampa Bay Rays. And this kid is stellar. He's one of the best pitchers in the game. He recently went on the injured list. And get this. He's blaming the fact that Major League Baseball no longer allows pitchers to cheat by putting substances on the ball. He's blaming that for his injury. Listen to this guy. And I'm not going to play the whole thing, all right, because it's long. But listen and save judgment so we can talk about this. But I 100% believe that contributed to me getting hurt. Uh, no doubt. Without a doubt. I think like it's, it's ridiculous. I'm just going to, I have used sticky stuff before. It's ridiculous that like, it seems like this whole public perception of like, oh, it's just like select few people. Like your favorite pitcher probably 50 years ago was using something too. Like if you felt these balls, how inconsistent they were, like you have to use something. So in the past, I, my like substance of choice is sunscreen and rosin. Like just nothing egregious, something to where I can get a grip on the ball so it doesn't feel dusty. But two starts ago against the Nationals, I went cold turkey, nothing. And before that start, I remember when all this stuff came out, I was talking to people and talking to doctors. And they were like, the thing that maybe MLB doesn't realize or that players don't realize is like, what, what is the injury? What, what is the prevention of like, maybe it'll add to injuries. And in my mind, I was like, that sounds dumb. That sounds like an excuse a player would use to make sure he can use sticky stuff. But I threw to the Nationals with nothing. I've never been, a, I don't use sticky stuff to, I don't use spider tack. I don't need more spin. I, I have huge hands. I spin the ball fine. I want grip. I did well against the nationals, probably one of the best starts I had all year. I woke up the next day and it was like, I am sore in places that I didn't even know I had muscles in. Like I felt completely different. I switched my fastball grip and my curveball grip. I've thrown it the same way for however many years I played baseball. I had to change. I had to put my fastball deeper into my hand and grip it way harder. And I had to, instead of holding my curveball at the tip of my fingers, I had to dig it deeper into my hand. So I'm like choking the shit out of all my pitches. My cue I used to use with Snyder was hold the ball like an egg, like nice and loose, be loose. That's out of the window. So I, I now have to develop a new cue. I have to develop something where I can't hold the ball light anymore. I have to dig it deep into my hand. So I'm taking it and you have to think, I'm not a doctor. I know you guys probably know that, but I'm taking a, a fastball. I'm squeezing the ball twice as hard. So all of this is I'm recruiting all these muscles and I'm taking my arm as hard as I can throw the ball. So I'm going from like a flexed muscle to letting a ball go. <laughs> now, hey, look, on one hand, I'm like, well, baseball won't let me cheat anymore. Now I got to throw the ball like everybody else. I hurt my army. Right? Like, fuck me. I got to play by the rules now. But on the other hand, I think he's got a valid argument. And I'm only saying this because baseball has turned a blind eye to this shit. Until, you know, shortly after the season started. It's not like they told pitchers at the winter meetings in the off season that they weren't going to allow them to do this. You know, I guess they were allowing sunscreen and rosin. 
Well, they decided they weren't going to allow it, but they didn't tell anybody, you know, until after the season started. So now these pitchers, they've got to adjust to that. And I read Trevor Bauer, who pitches for the Dodgers, he uses sweat and rosin, uh, which MLB does allow them to use. But pitchers have to practice with that stuff. They got to know how to use it and adjust their pitches accordingly, right? Well, Bauer, he was vocal about this a couple months ago. He's like, save it. Save your bullshit, the competitive integrity stuff. All you care about is the bottom line and how you're perceived by the public. And he's right about that stuff. Here's what I think. I think baseball only cares about the rules when it comes to pitchers having an advantage. Because they know fans come to games to see hits and home runs. They don't come to see strikeouts and perfect games. The only fans who give a, a, a general shit about perfect games are home crowds. And if you think Glasnow is wrong about pitchers using shit on their balls for the last 50 years, you remember this scene from Major League? What's that shit on your chest? Crisco, Bardol, Vagisil. Any one of them will give you another two to three inches drop on your curveball. Of course, if the umps are watching me close, I just rub a little jalapeno inside my nose, get it running, and if I need to load the ball up a little, just wipe my nose. You put snot on the ball? I haven't got an arm like yours. I got to put anything on it I can find. Someday you will, too. Got to remember, the Houston Astros, they were wrapped up in a sign-stealing scandal during the 2017-18 seasons. And sign stealing is when a a batter is at the plate and his teammates watch the catcher uh, deliver his pitch preference to the pitcher and then they deliver that information over to the batter through, you know, noises or signals or chatter or an update to his Apple watch. What did baseball do about that? They definitely spanked him. The Astros uh, GM and the coach were suspended for an entire season, fined the team $5 million. And they had to forfeit a bunch of draft picks. But the players were given immunity because they cooperated with the investigation. They got to keep the World Series rings, the MVP awards, all the other shit. If you truly want to hurt a team for cheating, take away what matters most, the championship and all the MVP trophies. But baseball is not unlike the NFL in this regard. They both want to act like they've got integrity that truly could give a shit less about things that matter. All the sexual harassment suits, the fact that they drive cities into bankruptcy to build new stadiums that that the cities can't afford, shit like that. But I'd be pissed off today if I were a Rays fan right now. But I wouldn't be vocal about it. (laughs) He did break the rules. Come on. Same with New England. That whole deflate gate fiasco. Yeah, suspending Brady for a few games, that sure hurt him, didn't it? They had Jimmy Garoppolo in his place. I think they lost all of one game during that time. Good job, NFL. You truly showed them. Ah, okay, that feels better. I can leave on that note. Hey, thanks for listening. If you're into making pizza or baking bread, dig into that recipe. My name is Phil. This has been Inane, and I'll see you next time. Come on. Come on.
try to move Come on King back. 